0: You are listening to episode 59. Now on today's episode, I get the honor to interview Alphonse Adetui. I actually went out of my way to find this particular guest because I watched a movie that he produced and is the director for called Love Jacked, which actually got on Netflix. That's how I came across the film and honestly, the intersection between Canadian and Nigerian content in that film and all the jokes just got me and my family and I knew that this was a film that I had to know more about. So as I did my research, I realized that the producer and the director was a Canadian Nigerian himself. And I knew I had to find a way to get in contact with this individual, by all means. (laughs) And not only was Alphonse open to doing an interview, but he even had his team reach out to me and give me some preamble and some background about him and his work beforehand. And the interview itself was such an incredible learning experience. I am beyond excited to share it with you all. By the way, if you haven't already, Be sure to check out Netflix and watch the film Love Jack. There are some heavy hitter actors and actresses involved in this work. And he's done so many other pieces of work throughout his time in the industry. Also, if you are enjoying the Okiki podcast, do me a huge favor. I'd love if you could leave me a rating and subscribe and let me know. Is this valuable to you? Are you as inspired as I am listening to these episodes? (laughs) And also, I just want to know how you are enjoying the stories as well. You can also subscribe to the Okiki podcast on Spotify. And without further ado, on with the episode. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fiona O'Brien. Hello everyone and welcome to the Okiki podcast. Today I'm really excited to have a very special guest. His name is Alphonse Adetui, and he is an award-winning producer and director. And his company, Inter City Films, has produced over 130 episodes of primetime television, and his feature films have been widely distributed in US, Canada, and Europe, including having officially four co-productions with South Africa. I'm so excited to have Alphonse on the show. This is actually the first time that I watched a film and I had to find out who was behind the film. I wanted to let you know that when I saw it come up on Netflix, the first part I saw was actually the clip where Shamir is talking to, I believe it's Amber, and they're running away from Lyric because he's out to get Shamir for money. And the joke was... And he was saying, oh, yeah, there's a guy from Montreal with a gun who's trying to shoot me. And then she says, no, a Canadian guy with like a gun. I'm not getting the, you know, the word's perfect, but people watch it. He's like, you have a Canadian chasing you with a gun? That doesn't sound right. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, this is brilliant. I have to watch this film. So I put it on my list. And I was so surprised. I'm wearing Ankara today because there was an African focus on it. There's a South African and then there's a Nigerian focus on it. And the trailer did not give that away. And the story is just incredible. If you're listening, there may be spoilers, but that is what drew me to finding Alphonse. So Alphonse, I'm just so honored and excited to have you here and really talk about your creativity because that really drew me in.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Glad you watched the film and found
0: me. (laughs) Absolutely. So it has actually become a family staple in our family. And we'll get into that more in the interview. But I wanted to know more about you. What inspired you to be a director and producer, especially as a Nigerian Canadian? I feel like that's such a different path than what I typically hear of Nigerian kids when they're raised. So I'd love to know more about your story.
1: I guess it goes back to just my dad was a storyteller. He was a really good storyteller, even though he was a station engineer. Of course, we were all supposed to be either an engineer or a doctor, etc. But I think eventually he understood that our love was kind of in the entertainment and in telling stories. So for me, it, you know, it began in, in high school, probably began as a way to get out of English class, you know, and not have to write a paper. So what I did was shoot photographs and do poetry on the back of them. And that was an assignment. So I guess we, you know, just found ways of using the media. I was captivated the first time I I used a camera, developed the footage, or if you're using a video camera to tell a story. For me, it was a, I used Super 8 and some 16 mil when I was, you know, in high school, we had a really great uh, media arts program. Mm. I I grew up in Sudbury. So in Sudbury Mm. secondary, it's amazing up north, they just I guess, decided to put all this money up there. <laughs> and they gave us this beautiful studio and all kinds of stuff to work with. And I kind of just fell in love with it first with photography itself, and hmm. then just with the storytelling, you know, with a camera.
0: Hmm.
1: And it grew storytelling with camera and people and actors. And, yeah.
0: Wow. That's amazing and, and quite fortunate for you that, like you said, you had such a good, strong program in your school that really helped stimulate that creativity. Now, I think it's one thing to start with a media program and it's a whole other thing to actually enter the industry of film. So what was that process like for you from going from just something you're doing as a creative outlet to how do I actually create a career in this space?
1: Well, you know, I think it kind of goes sort of incrementally because at first, one of the opportunities we had, you got to realize I have brothers that are like, we're all one year apart and four of us are in the entertainment industry. The writer, another's a producer, you know, and one was a DOP. And so I think that really helped as we Mm -hmm. came together to do projects. I may have been the first one there, but they came very shortly after and got involved, you know? So I had kind of a ready-made crew and we helped each other, and we just wow. all fell in love with, mm-hmm. the, with the media. We had an opportunity to then to do productions at the local cable stations. Do you remember when you, they had to do community stuff? Well,
0: oh yeah,
1: the Attitude Brothers just sort of descended into the <laughs> cable, and <laughs> we made these shows. If you remember, in Living Color, and it was called I think in Living Color in the. In the I guess it was in the 80s. Right? Um, and we did that kind of stuff with music skids and all that stuff for cable television at the same time doing our little films. And it just grew from there. Uh, then, you know, eventually you got to kind of go away to school. We all went to different schools. Right. And uh, I went to London to, to Fanshawe College, which had a film program, three years in that program. And then did some work after that uh, back in Toronto and did a, a film that did well, like a, I guess it was a one hour film that eventually sold to CBC. Um, it was a black family dealing with uh, HIV AIDS at the time. So it was a pretty strong drama. It got into the Toronto Film Festival. Then after that, I went to the Canadian Film Center to the director's program, what they call the Fall Alive at the time, which again, just brought me, you know, to meet Hollywood filmmakers, other professional filmmakers, you know, and it just gave us a base to now just take it up another level. And then it just kind of starts from there and uh, eventually you break in.
0: (laughs) No, I love hearing that process because after the schooling, it was like, and it sounds like there's a lot of producing your own work, even along the way. It wasn't just being a crew member When the production that was already going, like you were really trying to create those opportunities through showing what you can do while working with people and the networking. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's very cool to hear. And I know that the Toronto Film Festival is actually very acclaimed as well, even internationally. So creating those opportunities. And then what did you feel was your biggest obstacle then in entering that space more seriously, especially as being, I guess, new to it. And like you said, making those connections with even American production companies. What was your biggest obstacle and how did you overcome it?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. The first obstacle that you have usually, because you try to get funding, we have funding sources, you know, Telefilm Canada, Ontario Film Development Corporation, uh, which is called Ontario Creates Now. Another place is to get sort of grants or funds to make your film. But the catch-22 is usually you have to have some sort of a portfolio to get that money to make your first film. <laughs> how do you get the portfolio? I mean, you know, we, we had stuff we did in high school, but how do you really get a portfolio and then get money? Mm-hmm. So my brother and I did, and what we did was we raised some money privately mm. to do this half-hour comedy. So at the end of that, We had the tape, we had the first production. It was a professional. We brought a crew in from Toronto and, and we, all my brothers worked on it. So with that, we could go into the various funding agencies and get money to develop our first scripts and our first productions. This was done in Sudbury. So it was really these private investors in Sudbury, some doctors and lawyers, entrepreneurs who kind of believed in our vision and uh, a great theater director, the late Tony Lloyd, who also helped provide that opportunity. So in, in the Northern community, it was great because people would kind of rally around if you had an idea or something you wanted to do in the norm, uh, you know, and we, and we did that.
0: Yeah, I really like what you're saying too about how to leverage the people that you did have <laughs> in your network, because like you said, You needed to show some type of body of work to even get the grant funding in the first place. And even you approaching privately kind of reminds me of the tech space, you know, Uh, people (laughs) trying to get funding for that. And there's a lot of like angel investments that happen. So it sounds like a similar approach was needed to prove your art for lack of a better word and really get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you too, can you tell us a little bit about the co-production process? Because I think I'm seeing a theme of creating your own work, creating your own opportunities. And I come to understand co-production is another kind of way of doing that. I believe you have co-production with South Africa, with India. And I think that's kind of a fairly new concept to me and maybe for my audience. I don't know if you mind explaining that and how that's another way to really leverage more opportunities to create film.
1: You know, Canada is really uh, specializes in co-productions as far as countries around the world. We have official co-production treaties with over what, over 55 countries right now. Um, so that's an important part of getting Canadian images on screens, because you have to realize that we sit right beside a, a huge production of, uh, you know, behemoth, which is Hollywood. Um, and so they eat up about, you know, over 90 something percent of our screen time. So the only way to combat that and uh, get our voices heard even in Canada and other parts of the world is by kind of combining forces with other countries so that we can you know build bigger budgets etc and really kind of fight for our little space in the world so one of the strategies that Canada adopted was um, co-production so we have co-productions like I said with like 50 something countries and you know and they're expanding now for people of color we, we didn't have that many co-productions with certain African countries and so Some of us would like to tell stories, you know, including um, uh, Africa or including the diaspora. So it was incumbent upon us to help push these these co-production treaties. So that's what I did in the uh, mid-90s with South Africa. And the first production that, or the first time that uh, South Africa did a co-production was with Canada. And we did a production called the Kaya Family Chronicle for CBC, 13 One Hours. And that came through a friend who was part of the Black Film Video Network, and he was from South Africa. And he was one of the youngest detainees in South Africa. After we have meetings, at the BFVN, I used to take him back to York, where he lived with his wife. And He would tell me the stories of growing up in South Africa. And I thought, wow, this would make an amazing series. And he says, yes, it would. I'm already writing it. And he wrote 13 one-hours that we presented to the CBC. And they were really excited about it and decided to back us. So that was the first major thing uh, that I did with my brother Amos. And it had to be a co-production because at the time, uh, CBC's prime time was all Canadian. And if you're a co-production, you're seen as 100% Canadian in Canada and 100% Canadian in the other country that you're co-producing with. So just I helped put that together in the last minute, and then we were able to uh, start production and do this sort of landmark production in South Africa, which did really well there. That led to the second one. A couple of years later, we did one called Josie H that took place in a trauma hospital in Johannesburg and that accepted doctors from all over the world, including Canada, to kind of deal with these, you know, amazing situations. And so that was the uh, second one that we did with South Africa. And then the third one was the Love Jack movie, uh, which did really well. We got picked up by Netflix for a worldwide release. So they dubbed it a number of languages. So it's, uh, it's really interesting in German and in Italian and <laughs> French. And so that was great. That was a big break for us, you know, and really helped our budget and helped us to have some great music in the film. It's done really well internationally. The fourth one's called Dreams of the Moon. It takes place, it's interesting because I just got a, a note that it's the 50th year when the Apollo 16 astronauts came to Sudbury, my hometown, to train before landing on the moon. The unfortunate thing is in that particular film, since then, this was in 1971, it takes place, Sudbury has kind of done a huge green policy, you know, to kind of make Sudbury a nice vacation place, which is great for the city, not so great for my back lot that's supposed to look like the moon and, you know, the astronauts street. Uh, so but when I did the TV series in South Africa, I... I saw places that looked so much like Sudbury of 1971. And so kind of joined forces with a co-producer there. And so we'll shoot some of those pieces in the outback just outside of uh, Cape Town. And then there's an African story within the film where her dad goes to Africa. So it worked out really well. So that's the one that we are hoping to uh, start in the fall of this year.
0: That's really incredible. And I'm probably going to get more into that particular film because that's, of course, how I got connected with you. And then also just some of the nuances you said of even looking at the scenery, what it represents, what's possible and being able to re-strategize when something changes. How long does it take roughly to build these co-production relationships? Because as you mentioned, you vouched for it. You wanted this idea to happen. Like, How long does it take to get like a country on board is it different for projects
1: it's certainly a lot easier when there's already a co-production treaty that exists but i right. had <laughs> developed two stories one yeah. was south africa where there was no treaty so you know with the, the support of the canadian government i went over and just encouraged the south africans to sign with canada you know that took a number of trips that uh, when I went there. And of course, just the writing of the scripts, we did, you know, that took another almost two years. So it was a good three-year process t- to get that going. And then almost a half a year of shooting, you know, and post-production. So it's, it's a bit of a process. And the same thing in India. Again, there was no co-production treaty. And I had an Indian story that took place in India and kind of inspired by this feature documentary I produced. But I went over again with both the Canadian and Ontario government trying to develop a co-production treaty. So we went over a couple of times and that was accomplished. So there's now a treaty between India and Canada. And then I went over about another three times just doing research on the project, uh, shoring up a partner for the project, And uh, yeah, I have the the script is complete. And we would certainly like to do that project. As you know, with the pandemic, India has really suffered lately. So I'm hoping that, you know, that will all clear up kind of tragic what's happened. But you know, hopefully that will work out in the next uh, year or two.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And thank you for answering that. Because I think it's one thing to say it, but what does it actually look like logistically? So uh, thank you for giving that background on that. I also wanted to ask when you created Inner City Films, was this during your whole career process? Is this a more recent one? And what initiatives did you take to actually let people know about this brand that you actually were carrying yourself?
1: That's a good question. I don't know if I thought of it in all that order. (laughs) <laughs> i was inspired by stevie wonder album called inner visions and he talked oh, about in the city and so named yeah. my company inner city at the time wow. thinking downtown and i live close to downtown and i was really just thinking about urban film you know at the hmm. time when i was thinking about the company it's been a while since i did that company it was kind of the and it was just to inspire me I just sort of you know established that company and said okay I'm going to start to do my own work and initially uh, I started actually doing some uh, you know corporate videos and films you know as a producer and director Uh, you know after school I did have to make a living coming from Sudbury to Toronto (laughs) so those were some of the things that I did being able Mm. to sort of put food on the table Mm-hmm. send out some letters saying hey i can make your video for you yeah and, definitely. Uh, i think they sent out 10 in letters and got five jobs <laughs> you probably yeah. should send out a hundred but i sent out 10 i got five jobs <laughs> and then you just kind of you know that sustained me as i was developing some of the drama and mm. writing scripts and uh you know moving in that direction that's, um, awesome. yeah, that's how the company started basically
0: yeah, thanks so much for sharing that and that story. And yeah, I love Stevie Wonder for sure. It's good inspiration to have. And this is a, a question I kind of wanted to give you a chance to expand on more because I do notice, I don't know if other interviews have really talked about this, but this is the part that resonated for me. And it's about culture. And so back to your film, again, spoiler alert for anyone listening to the podcast, but there is a part where you know the love interest was he was pretending to be a South African. And then at one point it was like he's pretending to be Nigerian. Right. And then that part was like, huh, what's going on here? So as a Nigerian watching this, I'm like, what's happening here? And then all of a sudden it just got way funnier because this guy's clearly not Nigerian. And then he's trying to make up things. And there's this uncle who's like an you know Afrophile and just wants to you know say everything about the different African countries and it gets really funny and there's this part where they're talking about the Asun I was like what is this Asun he's like you know you gotta slit the goat and <coughs> this 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 and I was like oh my gosh like so it ended up creating a conversation uh, with my family and like is this is this what happens like what is actually the process here you know <laughs> is this one of the traditional celebrations right a you know a cultural conversation but not only that my mom started making us as soon like actually <laughs> yes yeah, so it's like an ongoing joke in our family now we talk about the as soon because yeah. after i watched the film i made my whole family watch it and they just loved it they cracked up and that soon part was just hilarious to all of us so now it's an ongoing joke and yeah my mom's cooked it for us like three times she looked up the recipe she's like i haven't made this mm-hmm. in years so it really like re-stimulated this whole conversation. It's delicious, conversation. isn't it? I'm going
1: to put a lot of pepper in us soon.
0: Yes, yes, and very <laughs> spicy, and yeah. so, yeah, maybe think, like, what role does culture play in the work you create and your background? Like, I know you're Nigerian, but you also have, you know, another cultural background. What role does that actually play in, in the work you produce?
1: Well, you know, my dad was Nigerian, my mom's German, so kind of a mixed background from two different places. So I can yeah. eat a lot of different foods, very different. If you know those two cultures. Yes. But um, in the film, you know, my brother Rob wrote the script. And in the film, he had him initially being South African and we had different cultures. And then what I realized as I was going along is I don't know as much about South African culture, particularly you know, whether it's New Nubali or different cultures within South Africa. So mm. I thought, you know what, I, I, but I know a lot about Nigerian culture and and other things and how to, you know, and, and talk Yoruba a little, bit. I know that. And I can share that with the actor right, right there. So I was saying to my brother, can okay, let's just, he pretends to be, but he knows the guy knows the South African languages. So let's make him just on the spot say he's Nigerian. So I did that switch <laughs> and I made him Nigerian. So that what you made him Nigerian, it was easy for me to give him all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I couldn't give him so easily the stuff from from South Africa, and I mm. I thought and I thought it worked within the film because he's got to think quick on his feet. Right, as, um, you know we have the, the Uncle Rufus character, mm-hmm. you know speaking. I, I guess it was Napoleon <laughs> or something, and so uh, I had him, you know, switch to the Nigerian and fed him all of that. Plus, we also had a Nigerian that was helping with some of the accents and stuff like that. Yeah so, yeah. so that's why I switched him to, to Nigerian plus of course I wanted to identify with my culture in that sense right Yes. Nigerians would get it I knew they would want it and of course we twisted the thing about the asun a little bit as far as the wedding ceremony but I remember one of my last meals in Nigeria was asun mm. before we left they made it you know people these two brothers come over and they make a wonderful asun you know with the goat and all this kind of spices and they barbecue it and it was the soon was great so i knew we had to have this scene. i just bend it a little bit you know to fit the story
0: yeah <laughs> but it's I, to, like it's a little different though and he's, but it was hilarious <laughs> honestly for the film and seeing the actor's reaction to wait i have to do this like you guys just have to watch it it's a really funny
1: part
0: <laughs> especially well, it, resonated I'm, with us yeah <laughs> glad you
1: got it because i watched it with some in uh, we had screenings Atlanta, New York, a few places as well. And I remember there were some Nigerians there. He's he's not really a Nigerian. I get like a lot of comments. I wanted to tell I know that's part of the joke. He's not Nigerian. Right. You're <laughs> right. making fun of Nigerians. No, I'm not making fun of I'm a Nigerian and I'm yeah. having fun with the character. When I, you know, he's he's clearly not Nigerian. So we're not trying to fool the audience. The audience knows he's he's North American. Yeah. You know, so anyway, some of them just, you know, when they are concerned that you have, they were asking me, why do you have a non-Nigerian playing in Nigeria? Because
0: it makes it funnier.
1: Well, yeah, because <laughs> he's not a Nigerian.
0: That's the whole. Point. My but whole uh, the whole time I watched that, I kept thinking, oh no, he's gonna make a mess of himself here, mm-hmm. because there's one thing with South African culture, their language. And I um, went to South Africa for three weeks a few summers ago. So there's that aspect. But there's a whole other thing with Nigerians and their language, especially Yoruba. They're like very into their culture. So it's very hard to fool actual Nigerians. So that's why I thought that part was really funny because I thought, oh, if anybody was actually Nigerian in that friend circle, they would get him right right away. And yeah, it really it really made the stakes quite high. And in light of that, congrats, of course, on the international success. It really stuck out to me as uh, now a family staple of ours because I really felt like it intersected like kind of the Canadian aspect with the Nigerian aspect, which is very unique. I've watched Nollywood, and of mm-hmm. course, I've watched Hollywood, but I hadn't right. really seen a film that tried to cross over the two in such a unique way. This kind of leads into my next question, that you're one of the founding members of the Black Film and Video Network. And from what I understand, you've created a lot of opportunities. And you yourself being a minority in this space, what yeah. was the importance for you to create such an organization?
1: I think back then we realized that there weren't a whole lot of us in film and television. And so we felt it... That- sort of incumbent upon ourselves, to create awareness, to create opportunities. You know, there's a lot of people involved back then. uh, Clara Pareto, uh, forgetting all the names. Christine Brown, she's also a filmmaker. Alana Lovell, Karen King, a number of individuals. Cameron Bailey, as well, he was involved. He's always been a great supporter. And we just organized ourselves to be able to both continue to build our knowledge in film and television, And also reach out to the people of color in England that were already kind of building a a serious base. And then that led us to eventually reach out even wider around the world now, especially. But basically it was the US and the UK and us. And the organization really came together. It was a lot of work. And then the idea, I guess, uh, at, at a certain time was when we were able to get the opportunities, like when I had the TV series, well then it's like, who are we going to hire? If we don't hire our own people, then what are we saying? So this was in the, uh, around 95, and we did the first series, and then 2006, when we did the second. So in 95, we said, okay, we're going to hire people of color and women. Well, at least even in my first one called Survivors, that's the kind of edict that was given to our line producer. People of color and women. <laughs> okay, Pizza. Those were the two categories. So we had women like that were a sound boom, which is typically a male job and uh, camera, You camera, know, working with the camera crew, again, a woman was in there. So we really wanted to push it. We thought, you know, cause we're preaching this, so we better kind of live what we preach. We're reaching all, but it was not an easy time. You know, unions didn't quite see it that way. You know, you had a group of people, that they're in the union. Why shouldn't they keep their camera crew together? Why should they knock one guy out, let someone who's not even in the union, the person of color come into that place? That was a very hard argument to, but eventually they kind of saw the light and we have the industry itself, you know, was really uh, responsive and supportive. Hmm. So, uh, you know, DOPs have said, fine, I have, you know, crew usually three or four, I will allow, you know, a person of color to come in here. And then later on in other production, guess what? That person could get to work with them, even not on our production. So you get to mingle and people get to meet each other. At first, you got to push really hard to make that happen. I think we we, we all did that. And it you know, worked really well. And some of those early productions, and even in the second series, and then we did a long running tractual um, series as well. We worked with people like Sud Sutherland, who's doing amazing job as a director now Jennifer Holness mm. she worked with us for a while and they're doing amazing people like Grace Lawrence work for us who else Ricardo Diaz who mm-hmm. was one of the people that came on as an assistant in the camera department who's mm. now a very experienced DOP and mm. even Cameron Bailey wrote a script for us you know he we wrote wow. a, a tv pilot mm. it was really good mm. BBC uh, so we had the opportunity to, you know, work with a lot of talented people that were coming up in all kinds of ways, and so uh, that was not was an exciting growth time for the diverse uh, community in, in film and television.
0: Yes, for sure, and it's just really interesting how you're saying that you pushed for these individuals to be in that position, but once you know, those companies actually got to work with them. It sounds like mm-hmm. on their own, they're like, hey, this is actually a very good person to work with. And that relationship continued. I believe it's your team that let me know about this. But uh, even uh, the main character, because what happened is after this film, of course, I ha- looked up all the actors because I like them all so much. And I realized like Shamir, he's doing a lot of work all of like, I don't know whether I just didn't know who he was before this film. But <laughs> yeah. also now I was like, oh, he's in a bunch of movies. But I was told this was actually one of his breakout roles was even working with you. Uh,
1: yeah, Shamir is a great talent. He's just amazing and he's doing really well. I mean, he's established himself in the States. He's doing all kinds of works with all the kind of A-list actors he's been working with. So he has a really bright future, definitely. And then Stephen James, his brother. I don't know if you know Stephen James. Uh, if Beale Street could talk and uh, race the Jesse Owens story, they're brothers. You know.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Small world. <laughs> yeah. Like Bro- your brothers
0: who are all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
1: he plays his brothers' brother. <laughs> oh films. my! I've seen oh, two. My goodness. Yeah. Where I really met him was my brother did a film about a black hockey player. Mm. Uh, set in Nova Scotia. And his brother, Stephen, played um, the black occupation. He played the brother, Shamir. And I went to, the, and, you know, Shamir's been doing a lot of dramatic stuff. He's really great at drama. I'd gone to the to the, see the film, and he was there, you know, after the, the opening night. And so I saw him there, and I was looking for the lead of Lovejack. And I thought, wow. And he was just so um, colorful and fun, you know, with the audience and the people around him. And I just saw, this is the Malco. But then people said, well, you know, he's a dramatic actor. And I just saw him in a drama drama where he lit up the screen. But I just said, you know what? This guy could do this. He could do comedy. I can just see him. He's yeah. so personable and fun, you know, as a person. And he just brought all that out, you know, that side of him but he's also a very heavy dramatic actor. So I really think he's going to go far because he has his range is very wide, huge dramatic and then really funny and can do all of those things as well.
0: Very interesting. Yeah. And, and thanks for giving that background, too, because I, again, as I mentioned, I caught this film and then I just had to look up everyone else. And it was to my surprise. I'm like, there were some heavy hitters in this film, clearly. Is, yeah. <laughs> and it, it was are just like impressive. If, you
1: know, from way back when, now there's some really great people.
0: That's amazing. And this leads into my next question is how important is mentorship to you in this industry in the sense of how, like you said, you really advocated for people to try roles, to try things, to get in positions that initially there was, you know, some resistance for. And did you have any mentors in the industry as you were coming up?
1: I guess maybe my mentors were my own brother's. We work together so
0: much. (laughs) That's convenient. (laughs) But but
1: certainly I had one mentor in high school and he was a filmmaker as well as an art teacher. And he's the one that really encouraged me to pick up the camera. And he gave me, you know, just so much encouragement and help. And his name is Jack Middleton Smith. He passed away a little while ago, but he kind of carried me for those three years in high school and just really encouraged me, gave me every opportunity to kind of do stuff. And he had the know-how having that kind of, you know, as well as an art background, he also knew film very well and photography. So I think that that's a really important thing. Uh, when you have a teacher in high school, can be very influential for you. Yeah, and, You know, he just upped my game all the time, just giving me great opportunities that, uh, you know, later on, when I got to school, I realized they were doing this kind of stuff in college that I was doing it in high school. Wow! <laughs> the kind of equipment I was using and what he gave me and what he yeah. taught me was just amazing. So he was a real great mentor. And then, you know, from there, as I just start to work with different people, different directors, because as as you know, I've also worked as a producer. I always direct a certain amount of episodes if I do a TV series, but I'm also a producer, so I bring on other directors. Mm -hmm. Many uh, experienced directors, people like Ann Wheeler. She's from Out West and she was wonderful. You know, we brought Mm -hmm. her on to Josie H. And I learned a lot from her. Experienced directors, Kelly Makin's another director that I learned a lot from. Yeah, a number of uh, directors I've worked with.
0: That's incredible. Yeah, I agree. I think good high school teachers are often underrated (laughs) for how influential they can be, because that's really where you're starting to think of. What can I do after this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of value in that. Mm -hmm. And speaking of value, I guess my final question for you today is what do you value the most about your career today and the position you're in?
1: For me, the most valuable thing is working with people. That is the most exciting thing to work with creative people whether it's DOPs or production designers, you know, and I get to go to work every day, meeting those people, deliberating with them and creating something from nothing really, you know, that when we work together. So that's really rewarding Uh, as well as I get to work with my wife, who's the editor of all my films. She edited. Oh, wow. And um, she is very talented. You learn a lot as a director from your editor. So she's really part of the uh, filmmaking team because we started at the beginning with the script and, you know, she's, she's influential in choosing that. She chooses the music for a lot of the film too. But, oh. um, so it's been great working with her, being able to do that, you know, and have that kind of journey together. So that's been really rewarding. And also working with my brothers, Amos, who's, you know, he produces Dickstown, the uh, series shot out East. And my brother, Tom, who shot stuff for me as well as the cameraman, D.O.P. And of course, my brother, Rob, who's I've just done his last two films for scripts that he wrote. Oh the last goodness. one with his wife, which was Love Jack. But before the other one was called High Chicago that he also wrote. Wow. Wow. So those are all the rewarding moments. And I've also worked with my son, Matthew, who was kind of the director observer on Love Jack. So that was fun. Even learned things from him. He did a couple of things in that film that were really great. <laughs> I think those are the most rewarding things, just mm. be working with the people, having the opportunities, again, even to work with people in other countries, The people in South Africa, great crews, just amazing people. Some of them in the second time, or I guess it would be the 3rd CoPro co-pro that I brought over here, and actually they were the DOP. We were training a lot of people in our first series in South Africa, wow. but they became at such a high level you know our DOP a very experienced guy and he did a film called Sutsi, which won the Academy Award for best foreign film South Africa's first i believe and then he brought his crew and these are other filmmakers of color the lighting guy the gaffer guy, grip guy, from South Africa here cuz they were they did the Mad Max movies as grip and gaffer and those kinds of positions there was just so much talent there that now they're starting to come back and lead some of the stuff over here. And I think it should be that kind of two-way exchange. It's not always one way. It started off as that kind of skills exchange but over 20 years. It's it's now coming back and we're reaping the rewards of that skills exchange with very talented people that we can work with on both sides. So yeah, it's been exciting. I mean, only halfway there, you know, the other half is going to be even more exciting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I have to say that this has been an amazing and insightful interview for me to do. Just got so much value out of it personally. I love hearing the people behind the art and the creativity. So I guess when a piece of work touches you, That's why I had to find you. I really, again, thank thank you you so much. Yes. (laughs) And thank you for being willing to be on the podcast and really share with the audience your background and the work you've done, because I think there's a lot of people like you who are bringing so much value that we don't always get to hear from. So I really do appreciate you being on the podcast today.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me.